0: So I imagine some of you are wondering why I sighed at the, last of the end of the last episode as I stumble over my words here. See, the thing is, in general, I enjoy Contagion. And having gone through it again, I do still enjoy it. Oh my gosh. But that enjoyment has gone down a step or two. See, the problem is, this is an episode that clearly has several good elements. It's got good tension, it's got good acting, uh, it's got a great premise, it's got some good world building. Uh, this is the first episode that has T. Earl Grey hot in it. This is the episode that introduces Picard's fascination and love with archaeology, which would continue to be a part of his character for the entire rest of his run. This is uh the episode that introduced the Iconians to us, which... There is some conflicting information that the Tacon and the Iconians are actually supposed to be the same group. I wasn't able to verify that 100%, so I'm not willing to state that with total sincerity since I've already screwed up and said one thing without 100% confirming it on the Star Trek videos, so I'd rather not do it again. And um it also feels like a generally Star Trek-y episode. I know it sounds so stupid, but it feels like yeah, I'm there. And then you think about the specific details, and the holes really start to show. I decided not to nitpick too much. Again, there are actual nitpicking sites, books, and guides for stuff like this. Um, It's not my job. But let me just say that if I did, I could nitpick the hell out of this episode. Because there's a lot of little flaws. Now, everything I just said is an opinion I've had for a while now. It was just reinforced by going through with analysis mode on. And then I started looking up in the the behind-the-scenes stuff, and I found out that apparently this is actually written, this is a one-off, basically, by a fan of Star Trek, fan of the franchise who tossed in a script. You know, I've discussed this whole process before. They people uh, in charge of television shows like this usually bought scripts en masse and then would select a few to actually turn into episodes. And this was one of those, by someone who was a big fan of Star Trek, both TNG and the original series. So that kind of makes sense in hindsight, because there's a lot of honest feel, but the thought isn't quite as good as it should be, right? So, for again, I'm not going to nitpick, I'm not going to nitpick, but... I do have to admit, the Yamato deciding to go into the neutral zone, which is already extremely dangerous, and do so without checking in or informing anyone, never mind asking for permission, based solely on what is effectively a hunch about Iconian tech, is curious. The argument can and has been leveled that his entire point was, I don't want you know anyone to find out about this, so I'm not going to check in with Starfleet. I have also heard people say he didn't want Starfleet to be culpable. In other words, that he was a rogue captain, and thus Starfleet, or rather the Federation, could politically save face in case this turned into a diplomatic incident. Neither of these things are actually presented in the episode at all. I'm just saying, there are ways we can work around this. Um, It does strike me very strange, though, his obsession with this. The fact that he turns out to be right, of course, kind of helps you to gloss over that. (sighs) Um... I want to give special praise to the scene where the Amato's destroyed. Even back in the day, the special effects were really good. The acting is good. The music for the scene is good. The, the, even the dialogue for that section, good. It was, I remember, like, now it still has an impact on me. But I remember when I first saw this as a kid, and I'm just like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> legitimately gasping, like, oh my god. This is also the first time we've seen this kind of destruction in TNG. Like, we've seen a couple other ships get blown up. Usually little things like the Reliant or the Oberth or whatever. uh, Or, excuse me, the Miranda or the Oberth. But this... This was something kind of new. This is a Galaxy-class cruiser, heavy cruiser, that was just devastated. And it wasn't just a pretty explosion like it usually is. We get to see the saucer section flying off as it disintegrates. They went out of their way to make sure that this looked horrifying, not cool. And I think that was a very important choice on their behalf. So very definite props to that. Um, And then, of course, a Romulan warbird's decloaking. Now, what I love about that is there's this wonderful tension and this sort of half-answered question of, were the Romulans behind this? Is this new a weapon? Did they retain the ability to fire while cloaked? You know, stuff like that. Obviously, that is not it. In fact, at only, I believe, about the 22-minute mark, they determined that this was not the Romulans. But still, that helps to add the—basically, it helps to hook the audience in. As much as I don't like this, it is a truth that it is a television show's job to sell itself to the audience. And that means if you're going to have a relatively low-key episode that's pretty much all about this whole ancient civilization thing, having something there to hook the audience in with some early tension or drama is something that is considered acceptable. I don't care for it. I'll admit that. But I think here, the way the Romulan threat was woven in was natural enough and directly connected to the episode enough that I'm willing to forgo that negative bias. You know, it, it, It was like, oh my gosh. Are the Romulans involved in this? You know, that timing is extremely suspicious. And in fact, if you really think about it, the fact that they chose to decloak right as the Yamato was destroyed is incredibly suspicious. And in fact, to this day, I've never been able to come up with a very satisfying reason for why the Yamato was just like, or excuse me, the, why the, um, uh, the Hakona, I believe. I actually can't remember the name of the ship. <laughs> can't even remember ship names, guys. Um, the Dideradex. Decloaked. Terrace's ship, Decloaked. I remember Terrace because she's an STL. <laughs> no, I'm serious, she is. Anywho. <clears throat> and the actress comes back to play her again in a much later episode, Face of uh, the Enemy. But anyways, I'm getting off topic. So, if you sit and think about it, it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. But the emotion of the, mov- the moments tend to help push past some of those logical flaws. And that really is the episode in a nutshell. Um, there's a great scene. A great scene where Picard is talking to Wesley, and Wesley, and, the, and, the, and they just chat back and forth for a minute until Picard says, "All right, why don't you tell me why you're really here?" And Wesley looks down and says, "And while it's not the best acting I've ever seen, I think Will Wheaton did a pretty good job as a 17-year-old of acting horrified and shocked. That specific blend of, I don't know how to process this." You know, it wasn't the best performance ever, but you clearly got this impression that Wesley was just, how do you deal with this? And Picard says, you know, we'll get training. Riker gets training. I get training. You will also get training. However, and he has a wonderful quote, however, when the death of a single individual fails to move us, something has gone wrong, right? Like, I love that quote. I love that quote. Now, um... I just had an idea. Like, literally just now. What if terrorists decided to uncloak in order to claim, basically, that the other ship needs to leave? Now, I know that sounds like such a weird thing, but hear me out. Ignore the Iconians for a second. That's a galaxy-class warship that just detonated in the neutral zone. There's got to be some debris left over there, and that debris is going to be very valuable to Romulan intelligence and the Romulan military and science divisions, Right? ergo immediately uncloaking to basically say you need to get the hell out of here makes a degree of sense it's a very stupid move but i mean it's not like captains don't make stupid moves now now the reason i thought of that was, was one of the very next things that i wanted to comment on was the fact that picard refuses to leave the neutral zone his initial pretext is in my blunt opinion very flimsy his, his initial pretext for not leaving is basically, we might have issues, therefore, we shouldn't leave. Instead, we'll stick around and investigate. Now, uh, that's stupid, <laughs> just to put that as bluntly as I can. If he legitimately believed in the moment that this was some kind of potential problem with you know some kind of flaw in the design of the Enterprise or the Galaxy class in general, he should book it to the nearest starbase or the nearest ship immediately. Instead he heads deeper into the neutral zone to go check out what's going on with this Iconian planet. Now, we uh, this is why I say there's some logical loopholes in this episode, because it's so obvious why we want to do that. We want to push forward towards the continuation of, but not only the mystery, which we do solve on the way there, as I already mentioned, but we want to look at this whole alien civilization thing, which is awesome. But I feel like the justification is a little bit lacking. Instead, something along the lines of... you know, Literally, I would have changed the dialogue to, given the current circumstances, uh, we need to ensure that the Romulans do not have an absolute monopoly, not only on whatever potentially Iconian technology he was finding, but on Federation technology. So until we can get salvage teams here, and until we can discover what's going on with the Iconian thing, we're just going to have to live with these problems for the time being. Bam. Justification given. And then when they find out it's not the problem with the... Uh, when it's not a problem with the actual design of the ship, it's not a design flaw, then all of that gets swept away, and now it's all about solving the mystery of the Iconian thing. That's cool. I like that. So they decide, they figure out that what the Iconian program is doing is effectively rewriting the program of the Enterprise, and it already did this with Yamato, in order to try and more accurately follow its own programming this of course is catastrophically destructive and that makes perfect sense if you have god it's hard to actually come up with a real-life example but if you have one program one series of programs that function in a in in manner a designed to do a b and c and you try to force a completely separate type of program to do those same things even though it's not even designed to do those i mean you could see why there's an issue there That is, in fact, one of the more terrifying aspects of this episode. Now, I didn't catch that when I was a kid. But when I went back to rewatch this episode, eh, probably about high school years, give or take, I remember looking at this and being like, oh my god, and just having a new appreciation for the quiet terror in the whole episode. Because, well, even from a fairly young age, I started getting into computers and programming and technology. Nowadays, I look at that and like, god, god, if anything, things should have been going much, much worse than they were. Like, that ship should have been basically non-functional. I don't mean, like, occasionally the lights flicker out. I mean, the lights no longer know how to light, you know? If anything, they didn't go far enough, but I get why they didn't. And I do have to admit, there's way too many times when the technology fails when it's just a little bit too convenient. And nowhere is that more apparent than when Geordie tries to go to the bridge to warn them to destroy the probe. Now, I'm going to admit something. When I was a kid, watching this for the first time, I had no idea what was going on in that scene. I was legitimately confused. He just gets on the thing and this really weird sound effect I've never heard before is playing and he's flying around the turbo thing and he flies out and in hindsight, it makes sense. You know, the turbo lift was massively malfunctioning. But as a kid all I can remember thinking is if it's malfunctioning, why is it still going where it should? And why is it I mean, isn't it going there faster technically a good thing? Like the whole scene just struck me as very strange. And I think, with the advantage of 20 plus years of analyzing fiction behind me now, I can say that the reason it strikes me as strange is because it's just too convenient. That is probably my biggest complaint about this episode. You know, all the nitpicks, I, I can ignore little minor details as long as you give me something good. And this is a good episode. I like this episode. But it's just a little too convenient too often. Like, what caused the Romulan ship to start self destructing, para example? In addition to... And I mean, why is that even a part of the episode for that matter? Since that's basically just a last minute taking clock. Which we resolved within less than a minute of it being introduced as a problem. (laughs) You know, transporters are working, but now they're not. Um, Alright, shields. Nope, no shields. You know, I need to get to the bridge. Nope. com fails as soon as Jordy tries to call up. You know, it's always... Everything goes wrong the exact moment it needs to in order to add to the tension. I'm willing to accept that. But it is still a—it's still a constant bother. You know what I mean? I hope at least some of you know what I'm talking about, because I feel like I'm doing a bad job of explaining this. One of the next things I want to comment on <laughs> is what I believe to be the core theme of the episode. Now, this could be me just talking right out of my elbow, because you see, one of the things—one that... of the things that uh, is a predominant presentation of the episode is the idea that people have become too reliant upon technology the idea that the their attack is so advanced that they quite literally re- rely on it to to breathe and exist i mean a spaceship is pretty high tech and pretty mandatory for survival in space right but there's two really big points where this comes in point number 1 and this has been a sticking issue Uh, For me, for my mom, who got me into Star Trek, for all my friends, for my family, for the better part of 30 years or however long it's been at this point. I think we're actually at the 31-year mark or something like that. It's been a while. And that point is that a medical technician who has a rank, has gone through Starfleet, and is actually stationed aboard the Federation flagship does not understand the concept of a splint. That's laughable. Um, what's even worse is, at first I thought, okay, maybe it's not so bad. Because I, I was paying very close attention to the dialogue. Because I remember hating that scene. My mom, watching it with me, pharmacist, medical, <laughs> makes fun of the whole thing. I've heard people made fun of that for years. I'm pretty sure it's in the Nitpicker's Guide. You know, I've, I'm sure we've all p- pointed this out at some point or another. But this time I'm like, okay, let me listen. And he just says, a what? Like he hasn't heard of a split because he doesn't usually use one. And as of that moment, I'm like, okay. Right, right, a splint, sure. But instead, he says, and I quote, that's crazy. That's not practicing medicine. What? (laughs) It's hard to even come up with a real life equivalent of that. It's like someone saying, hmm, they're not doing so well. I recommend rest and water. And someone saying, rest and water? That's crazy. That's not practicing medicine. Because, you know, it's one of the more... Ba- I mean, let's be honest. A splint is a very basic form of medical technology. But it is so basic, it should be fundamental. Right? Like, I think we could all agree with this. And I, I'm sorry for banging on him at this point. It's a nice scene for Pulaski. No, it is. <laughs> I'm telling you, she's growing on me. But I'm looking at the scene like, what is wrong with this guy? And I like to think that he's secretly an, an alien spy who's never interacted with with humanity before and accidentally took over a medical technician and is like, what? Why would you attach something to a leg? That's just crazy. Because otherwise, I have no idea why this guy exists. Like, even an in-universe explanation, the best I've got is that these people are are dumb. I can't even come up with an out-of-universe example unless, of course, we're going back to that theme. Which brings me to my next point. How do they fix Data and his being rewritten by the Iconian programs? they reboot him. I know that this is, you know, 2018. I'm not using current argument. I'm just saying I know this is 2018, and approximately 99% of all of reality knows about rebooting a program or a software or a hardware or whatever in order to try and fix problems. It is so predominant. It is quite literally a joke. It is so much a joke, some people forget to actually do it because it's just that common, you know. We you try turning it on and off again. You know? <laughs> it is such a basic, very fundamental form of diagnostic, of uh, troubleshooting. And yet, at no point does anyone think of this. Even Jordy has to think for a minute to try and figure out what just happened. <laughs> right? This is where I say that that theme kind of falls apart because the only way this theme works is if these people are so advanced that they have legitimately regressed intellectually. To say that as bluntly as I can. And I'm not quite sure i buy that. I, I know the Federation is stupid is kind of a not quite a joke, but uh, I think it's a little bit too much for my personal suspension of disbelief. <sighs> anyways I do want to give a couple other thoughts I've really said all the major, th- major things I want to say I like the shields up shields down phasers down scene no I do for two reasons it's, it's a well written bit of little uh, what's the word I want to use there's some good banter in that scene just like shields up oh god you know because it's it, it, the construction of the scene works very well for me it starts off tense oh my god we've got this horrible thing happening and then it just kind of the tension deflates and then there's this moment where they're just kind of, huh? And then it kind of turns comical as the as the members of the bridge staff are just kind of joking with each other. I like that because in such a tense situation, I guarantee you people who knew each other that well would probably start snarking because they're just like, okay. You know, Riker's lying about, can we arrange to have a few rocks to throw at them? Is obviously said with a degree of frustration, but as a way of venting. And this is further added to, by the follow-up scene where Troy actually, you know, talks to Riker and Riker's like, let's talk about evacuation. And the two of them just have this really good natural dynamic in chemistry as they're talking about, all right, listen, we need to make this work somehow. Um, why don't we go ahead and give people something to do? Everyone's tense, everyone's nervous, and nothing's working right. Let's give them something to accomplish, a goal and something to keep their mind busy. That is great right there. That's actual psychology from her and actual leadership from him, and I like it. Um, this is why I say this episode, I'm willing to give it more credence than not. You know, why it's a net positive for me. is because there's enough good scenes like that where the characters are acting in character and really feeling like people more than actors on a screen. And I like that. <sighs> um... I want to mention one last thing here, really quick. Um, I like the the Bruce Maddock mention. It's very quick. I I actually missed that for a long time when I was younger. Um, I love the idea of the Iconians, the demons of darkness and air, not just because of Star Trek Online, but also because it's one of the earliest examples I can think of of portal technology, let's just call it what it is, being something that is exemplified as being very, very useful, very strong. Uh, Very hard to circumvent. If you don't understand what I mean by this, I talked about this recently during the Legion lore run over my YouTube or my stream stuff. The uh if very rarely in my opinion has fiction properly showcased how the ability to teleport yourself or others, or portal yourself or other things, is such an incredibly useful skill, uh both offensively and in terms of defense and utility. And so the Iconians are presented in this overwhelmingly, you know, we are just that much stronger than everyone else around us light. Not because they have a big ship, not because they have big guns, but because they can just appear right there on your ship, just like that. And you won't even see them coming. There's not, as we see the effect happen twice when uh, when they use the one on the planet, we see the effect. There's no gives you a few seconds of warning. They're just there. And that is immeasurably powerful of a tool. It's even unidirectional, which is uh, actually kind of confusing if you think about it for a minute. But, if used offensively, immensely useful. You can see where you're going, and they can't see that you're watching. That also makes it an observational tool in addition to a transportive tool. Now, granted, I'm a little bit biased because of STO. But to me, despite Picard's speech of, Oh, history is written by the victors, and they were just afraid... No, I see the Iconians as a bit of a conquering power here. The kind of people who would, perhaps peacefully, perhaps without killing people, would more or less naturally just roll over any opposition in their way because they have such an overwhelming advantage technologically. I mean, hell, that's the whole point of Farscape, right? Anyways, I don't have much else to say. Good acting, good tension. I had fun. Uh, Next week, we're looking at the Royale. (sighs) Wish me luck, guys.